so it wasn't until later in my career that I really, and you know, with the help of social media, could start standing behind my own voice. Cause I'm like, you can't reach more people if you make an exclusive entry. And there's no reason that you can't be fully what you want to be and also do something that you love. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rome's weekly podcast hosted by the amazing Corey Richards. He's a Nacho photographer, storyteller, alpinist, multiple Everest summits, and the king of the conversation here. And myself, I hosted it too. And while I have none of those accolades, uh, I am the founder of Rome and super happy to be here again with you to share these stories and have these really intimate conversations with some of the true icons of adventure. And we're talking about adventure with purpose. That's what we drill down on and see another side of some of these amazing people. Uh, maybe show you a side you didn't, you didn't know. And this, this week is no different. We've got Sasha DeJulian. I've known Sasha for a while. She's an amazing person. Everyone that knows her knows this. If you don't know her, She's been a climber her whole life. She started very early, started, uh, just came ripping onto the scene at like 11 years old, climbing 8A, was a competitor, sort of tore through the competition circuit as world champion. I think she was undefeated national champion for like eight years or something. She's uh, taken it outside big time. Um, she has eight first ascents, maybe 30 first female ascents. And she's one of the best rock climbers of all time, period. Um, she's also incredibly uh, personable and smart. Uh, she went to Columbia. She sits on the boards of, uh, of multiple foundations, like the Women's Sports Foundation, um, is an activist, does a lot of work, um, try to make the world a better place. And she also happens to be a founding member at Rome. Which leads me to a little housekeeping. This episode of the Rome Podcast is brought to you by Rome Academy. What is Rome Academy? This is one of the new platforms and products we're bringing to you where you can learn to do all of the things that we talk about here on the podcast with some of these people that are highly accomplished. Some of those people are now instructors for Rome Academy. Jimmy Chin on adventure photography. Kelly Starrett on overall fitness and mobility. Ian Walsh uh, on how to prep your gear uh, and pack for your next surf adventure. Uh, we just shot one with Corey Richards actually on adventure storytelling, where he walks us through his entire archive, some of his best work and tells us how he created it, where he created it, and the elements of story that are so important in filmmaking and photography. He's learned that over 20 years of being a Nacho photographer in the field and taking all that learning and, and the mistakes he's made and presented in a 13-module, two-plus-hour class. we got Conrad Anker who's teaching climbing, how to be a better rock climber. Rebecca Rush on how to be a better mountain biker. Backpacking, cycling, camping, even, even some stuff on backcountry cooking. Um, and today's guest, Sasha, will also be instructor uh, come the fall. So if you like what we do here, you know, we're able to do that because of some of these other aspects of the business, like our membership program. We strive to bring you value. Go to romemedia.com, check it out, 
see if you're, you're interested in it. If you're a lifelong learner, like most of our guests, uh, I, think, I think you'll dig it. We're really working hard on it with the founding members and other experts out in the field to, to create not only inspiration for you and some of the original content, but also bring you education. And then eventually, once we're able to do this, we will actually make it so that on the platform, you'll be able to book your next adventure. So it's sort of a one-stop shop adventure club uh, founded by the world's best adventurers. So if you want to learn to ski better, climb better, snowboard better, hike better, cook better in the backcountry, surf better, uh, you know, our, our experts and instructors are the best in the world. So check it out. Uh, with that, let's dive in. Let's uh, get to the conversation with Sasha. Thanks so much for listening. And um, yeah, we're grateful to have you here. For people who might not be familiar with you, and, and that would be strange in the outdoor community, but it, it, you know, there might be some people who are like, who's Sasha? For people that are listening that aren't in our community, um, how would you, when you get asked to introduce yourself, how do you, what do you say you are? Like, how do you self-identify? Yeah, I normally tend to say I'm a professional climber. I've won the world championships. I've been an undefeated Pan American champion for 10 years. And I've done over 30 first female ascents of 514 and harder outside. Um, I really see what I've built as something more of a platform to use my voice. And, and now one of the two of the causes that really speak to me or getting more women involved in sport, but also seeing the transferable skills that you get from sport um, to life in an empowering way. And then also action on climate, because that's like a universal thing that there is no reset button. Once we hit a certain mark, like we're not getting our planet back. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because honestly, in some worlds, I've gone to university and when I was in university, I was like, kind of like climbing was a big part of my um, description. And then in the climbing world, I tend to, to um, see myself as more than just a climber. I found out I needed to get surgery in March. And at first it was like this totally emotional response because I've never taken off more than like six weeks from climbing in the last probably 20 years of my climbing career. Um, and I think the way that I've shifted it to a positive mindset is just thinking about embracing this challenge to define who I am outside of climbing. Now that climbing is taken out of my life in a way, but I also have the luxury to return to it. Um, that I can finally kind of dive into that question, Corey, that you asked is like, how do I identify myself? Because there's a lot of loose ends in how I identify myself already and in trying to whittle down who exactly I am, whether it's with climbing, without regards to climbing. Um, and yeah, I guess that's who I am. <laughs> I, no, I love it. I mean, I, we, we talked a little bit about how you've, you've taken a slightly different path than a lot of people who have come into the limelight and climbing. And by that, I mean, you, have, you are a highly educated person. And so often climbing gets conflated with this dirtbag mentality. You came to it slightly differently. How did you, I mean, how did your climbing career start? And then how did you 
sort of navigate through that, that period where you went to university where other people were like, well, I'm going to go road life it, you know, and still you managed to be the best female rock climber on the planet. Um, I mean, that's just an interesting, that's different than people are like, I'm going to live in my Subaru. Right. I'm going to move to New York, go to Columbia and instead of to the Valley for four years. Yeah, I mean, to start off, like, I'm definitely not the best climber in the world by any means. But um, I started climbing after my brother's birthday party when I was six. So it was like 1998. Um, And I grew up in Washington, D.C. And so I was already kind of different from your average climber back in the day who grew up in Colorado or somewhere with access to the outdoors. And my parents really instilled in me from an early age, like education is really important um, to the point that I didn't even question the fact of like whether I would go to university or not. And to be frank, my dad considered university to be an Ivy League school. (laughs) Um, So there was a little bit of pressure there, but my parents also were really liberal in the way that Um, as long as I had good grades in school, I could go and take off the time to go climbing. So like by the time I was 12, I had my first endorsement deal, all by super casual endorsement deal. I wasn't paying my own bills at that time, but they were embracing the fact that I was committing myself to something that I felt really passionate about and following that, um, that progression within my sport. And that started from a competition angle, like doing the youth competition circuit back in the day, there wasn't a restriction on competing in the pro circuit and before you're 16. So I could do like the Canadian nationals for open women. I came second at when I was 12. Um, And then when I was about 14, I think the ban on youth competing in adult competitions came into play. So I had to wait till I was 16 to compete in adult U S nationals again and to compete on the World Cup circuit. Um, So at 16, I won my first US Nationals Open title and kind of went into World Cup competition. And and I have this really tubular focus on like training and, um, you know, what I wanted to do within climbing. And what I wanted to do within climbing was win the World Championships. That was like my dream scenario. Um, And, I also knew that I was going to go to university. It just kind of was a part of my life trajectory. I think when I started climbing, like being a professional climber wasn't really a part of what I thought I wanted to do because there wasn't really the path laid out for me that I related to at the time. Um, And I have no, no like opinion against living in your van and you know scraping by to do what you love I think that that's totally commendable but it just wasn't me like I was really feminine I was a figure skater before I got more involved with climbing um and I didn't necessarily relate to the path that was laid out before me um but I didn't really see a reason why I couldn't do both like be who I am and pursue climbing. Um, And I didn't actually meet much like resistance to that until I started doing well in both, which is kind of ironic. Um, When I was uh, in 2011, I graduated from high school and I was like, I'm good to fur. I had applied, the only school I applied to, which I got into is Columbia University. 
Um, and I was like, I'm gonna defer my acceptance to Columbia and focus on trying to do well in the World Cup circuit. Um, and that year was when I won the World Championships in Arco, Italy. It was the year that I climbed Pure Imagination, um, which Keith and Andy, fellow Rome founders, filmed. Uh, and Corey, you edited. <laughs> um, and then that next year, I climbed Aravea, which was my second 9A. Uh, and I went back to Columbia, like to start university. And I think that that was the first time that I was kind of like juggling being a full-time student and being a full-time athlete. Um, my dad was, you know, before he was going to be paying for university. And then the year that I went back to university, like came very um, apparent that I was going to be footing my own bill. Um, and I didn't like meet requirements for financial aid because I was under 26 and still considered dependent. So it was my climbing career that got me through paying full tuition at Columbia and living in New York city. And like, I saw climbing as much as, as it was my passion, as it was my job. Um, and I think that when you get to that juncture of your passion, being responsible for also paying your bills, you have to make decisions that are going to be complementary professionally, but also from a business perspective. And like, I happen to be studying uh, business management and nonfiction writing at Columbia. Um, so that helped like learning more, but I would say most of my learning business-wise has come from my own career. And um, I think through the phase of being in university, I had to learn a lot more about when I can take the dips in my career of climbing performance and be okay with not necessarily being like at my A game all the time because during midterms, like I had to be studying. Or I remember one story from like school was it was my first semester at Columbia and I had the Pan American Championships in Venezuela. And I also had this like psychology exam the same uh, day. It was like a Thursday and I had to be in Venezuela on that Thursday for qualifiers. And I flagged it to the professor like, hey, just planning ahead. Can I take this exam in advance? Because I have this big competition I need to go to. And she was like, no. And I was like, wait, what? She was like, I don't care if you get a zero on the exam because you're meeting the president of the US or because you slept through your alarm. I don't make exceptions. And so that was like a big like reality check to like sometimes these things aren't going to work out well together. Um, and I ended up going to the Pan Ams. I took a zero on that exam. I got three gold medals at the Pan Ams and I ended up just like working my butt off to pass the class. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> but, incredible. Did you, I mean, I, I, I just, you said something through that where you, I mean, you are known in our community, in, in our industry for having a, like a stalwart, like a one one of the most uh, noted work ethics um, around really. And, and you said something about you, you made that very conscious transition from climbing being your passion to your profession. Did you feel at any point like that impacted the passion side of it? And I, I ask this because I think a lot of young people are like, I wanna be a professional climber. I went down that road and I actually found 
I fucking kind of hated it a little bit um, because it, it altered the substance of climbing for me. Did that happen for you or not really? Yeah, yeah, definitely through different phases. And I think that it wasn't until I graduated from Columbia that that passion side could really start percolating again because through school, it was this mad dash of like being in class Tuesdays through Thursdays and being on an airplane to like Asia or Europe Thursdays through Monday night. And um, it was what I had to do. It felt like I want to maintain this presence as a full-time climber. It's also how I'm paying for school, uh, how I'm paying for my apartment. And it also like, I've never wavered within like my love for climbing, but definitely the, the, the like passionate side of why I started climbing in the first place has gone through checks and balances because in order to be a professional climber, you need to be doing something unique that sets you apart. And I think that also media can tend to twist things in a way that doesn't really land well with a small niche uh, community like that existed in climbing. So like when I did the North face of the Iger and like CBS news or ABC news, we're taking the story and it was cool to get that attention because it fed into my career. But when I was being called like the first woman to climb the Iger, I was like, Whoa, I never said that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that can reflect on you personally too, that maybe people think like that's what she's putting out there. Um, so, so it wasn't until later in my career that I really, and you know, with the help of social media, could start standing behind my own voice and having more confidence to also speak out against like the hate that I have gotten in my career. Um, I think just the sheer fact that I'm a woman who's also quite feminine, like I've never denied the fact that I love getting dressed up. I love fashion. Pink is my favorite color. That's like not traditional within our sport. Um, and I want to change that because I'm like, you can't reach more people if you make an exclusive entry. Um, and there's no reason that you can't be fully what you want to be and also do something that you love. So, yeah, I think that like being a professional climber, I haven't liked the hate and I haven't liked having to like, you know, like, like, I can't say that I always love the work commitment aspects of it. I just feel really privileged that it is my job. That's really interesting. You can't reach more people if you make an exclusive entry. That's a, that's an interesting point that I've never actually heard you articulate in that way. And that makes a ton of sense to me. You came on and you were young. And I think there's also when you're young and you're pretty, um, and I don't mean that reductively, I'm just listing why, you know, you're young you you are aesthetically pretty um i think there's this reductionism that then makes you a target for uh criticism and and I'd, i if you are comfortable with it i i do you want to, can you talk about that a little bit because That's i think i mean i think that and i may, maybe i'm inferring something here but i i feel like that might have been the roots of your advocacy for the empowerment of women. 
is, is what you experienced in that genre of sort of commentary. Does, am I making sense? Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think that um, myself, I can't speak for all women, I, in my life, I have consistently felt like I've needed to prove why I deserve what I have. Um, and without a doubt, looks play into marketing. And I can't help that. But I can work as hard as I can with the privilege that I've been given in this life, which has been a lot more than a lot of people, um, because of my skin color, because of what I look like, because of these objective things, like I have had a leg up, but you know, I've wrestled with that too of like, yes, I can't deny my own privilege, but if I'm just paralyzed by it and I don't do anything because I feel guilty about that, that's not helping anyone either. So I can just work as hard as I can and just put my best foot forward into creating what I hope to see within the world improving and what I can personally do in order to just continue progressing. Um, but it, it's like, I'm not bulletproof. So like, you know, I read 99 comments that are positive, but the negative comment sticks with me. And it's like, I'm sponsored because I'm blonde and petite or like, right. you know, a whole host of things. And, or I climb 9A because I'm light. And that led into this media or like, you know, online forum perception associating my body weight with my success while I was working my ass off to train hard. But then it ingrains into you. You know, I went through like an eating disorder because I was like, in order to climb hard, according to everyone, I need to weigh this certain weight or like, I hit puberty when I was about 19 and my body started changing and I was in university and I was realizing that living a normal life was really fun. And so my body starts changing. I start having to adapt to new ways of training. But when you have this like psychological perspective that success is tied to your body weight, that, that can really affect you too. And like, now I feel comfortable talking about it because short of like having a broken pelvis, I actually felt before my hip surgery, kind of the healthiest like mind body connection that I have in a while. And that was just like being happy with what I look like and with the efforts that I've kind of created within the team that I've surrounded myself by. Um, but that took a while. I mean, I'm 27 now. I mean, you're, it's funny that you're like, I'm 27 now. I'm like, God, you're so young still, which is so rad because what you've accomplished in those 27 years is, I think, monumental. And, and your insight into the world around you is also um, just, it's, it's deep and I appreciate it. I, I mean, you mentioned eating disorders and, and that goes into body image and that can lead us to some places where you really have faced some hate and some bullying and you've stood up to it first, I guess as some, I've just as an admission to, to our audience and I'm, and I'm willing to talk openly about this. I've not had an eating disorder, but I have had disordered eating for sure because I've been part of a community that uh, is, is chiseled and built and looks a certain way. And I have never, ever looked like that I, ever. My body is just not that way. And, um, and I've struggled with body image issues and it's, 
in no way comparable to what women face daily. Uh, but, but I, I, on some level, can relate to it. And I know, for me, I've, I've experienced a tremendous amount of pain around it, looking in the mirror and seeing something that um, isn't what I'm told it should look like, uh, and being teased, even, even by my good friends, about being skinny fat and all this stuff. Um, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I resonate with some of that pain, and I was curious if you wouldn't mind diving into just peeling back some of those layers around eating disorder perception, because I think for especially young women in our sport, um, hearing you talk about it, you know, has a lot of power. Um, and only if you're comfortable with it. Yeah, no, it, it, it's unfortunately something that we see echoed throughout generations within climbing. And, and I think that Kai Leitner, who's a male climber that I deeply respect, he, he just wrote an article in Outside Magazine about his disordered eating. And um, it's always been the elephant in the room in climbing. And that's because strength to weight ratio is a factor in an anti-gravity sport. Um, I think that understanding that there's a lot of physical training you can do to strengthen your body. So you don't need to lessen your weight is something that I was completely unaware of as like a 18, 19 year old. Um, but it's things like, you know, you start slowly, you maybe go on a climbing trip and lose some weight unintentionally, and then you're climbing harder. And then you go back and, and you start seeing these correlations. Um, and for me, it, it was, I remember this article that came out that was titled Climbers Who Cheat. And that really affected me. And I think that that was addressing uh, disordered eating within climbing in a really negative way. Because instead of actually understanding the psychological effects that, that these correlations can have, it was putting this like really negative slant towards almost like accusatory of people doing it to cheat, you know, mm -hmm. and, and cheating is like doping or like, you know, lying about an ascent or something like that. It's, it's not about like a, a thing that's so compounded for women too aesthetically. Um, and, you know, as I started increasing my strength regimen, I started putting on more upper body muscle. And then it was like, my dresses don't zip up in the back. Um, so being okay with like my lats that are a lot bigger than like some of my good friends from Columbia who aren't necessarily like professional athletes. So like understanding the tools of my body as, I mean, my body as tools for what I do and being thankful for them. Um, it's like still something I grapple with, you know, right now, not, I'm, I'm, five weeks post two surgeries and I've done absolutely nothing. It's like actually the first time I can like sit up in a chair this week. Um, and my body has been changing even due to like lack of exercise. So it's been like a new way to feel like, like you said, like not looking like an athlete and like for the first time, like I was like, well, I'm like starting to actually have a chest for the first time in my life. But like, you know, things that like I'm unfamiliar with because I've been climbing for 21 years and like, not exercising at all as a part of my day. And now, now to me, I'm like, I don't look like an athlete and that's something I need to like be okay with right now to my mind. Cause I'm not toned or fit. Um, but yeah, to the like social media, um, there's a big onion to peel there 
Um, there yeah, is- that's the one I want to get into. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that it's fair to say that a lot of the outdoor community knows that I went through a really significant, quite divisive time on social media two years ago. It's like, yeah, was it only two years ago? Um, maybe it was exactly two years ago. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, so one male pro climber had been quite maliciously attacking me online and offline making side comments to people. He, you know, he was one of the first people to call me anorexic when I was about 18 years old. Really got into my head because that's something that was a really, you know, it's like poking a stick at a wound. Um, and I don't know why he did it. Like I, as much as anything, like wanted to have his respect because he was another colleague within the professional climbing world. Um, And it got to an elevated point that it just wasn't stopping. And then in the spring, early summer, I flew to Toronto uh, because my grandma was dying Um, suddenly. Like she had had this like weird stomach thing that really like elevated quickly. And a friend sent me a, a screenshot of a social media post he made that was really like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I tried to call him messages, uh, said, dude, this is like effed up, (laughs) delete it. Uh, No response, got blocked on the account. And so I made a post about something like speaking against my experience of cyberbullying. And what unfolded was surprisingly to me, a quite divisive Uh, moment in actually the most divisive time I've ever experienced in the outdoor community because people were gaslighting me saying that I had destroyed his career um you know like I had support as well for sure but it was interesting because that led me to question whether what I did was wrong um and to this day I still really stand by what I decided to do because if anything, my voice on social media should represent to girls and boys and people of any age that you have the right to stand up for yourself and you have a voice. And if something isn't okay, then stand up and use it and speak against it. Um, And professional climbing is a privilege. Like we represent our outdoor community and we're ambassadors to a sport. And if we're maliciously targeting someone who had, has never done anything to you, like, frankly, I don't think that he deserved to be sponsored. Um, and I know that people will disagree with me. Um, it's unfortunate that the results had to be so severe. But to be honest, I don't know if, if taking away a privilege is that severe when you do something that's so malicious? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, and again, I, so I don't, we, I don't think we need to, I, I appreciate the depth with which you Sorry, to speak about it. No, like, no, no, no. I, I, I appreciate it. I want you to keep going. I want, what I wanted to say is I don't think in this moment, like, I don't, I don't want people to misunderstand that we're trying to d- demonize the other person. I think what we're trying to do is give context to the situation so that you can speak to, um, right. to, to sort of how you've dealt with those kinds of things. And I, 
and I think it's really important to know that, you know, I, I support you. I support uh, how th- I, I support the way you pursued it and the outcomes of it were beyond my, my control. But I, I, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is what you just nailed on the head is how do you navigate hate? Like, how do you navigate? And the reason I wanted to get at this today is because so much of our online presence right now is, is under scrutiny, whether we're saying the right thing, the wrong thing, um, or whether or not we're saying anything at all. Um, uh, how are we showing up? And you have managed to stand up for what you believe in, maintain a steady course, and really, I, I think, um, push back a lot of hate that's come your way. And I'm just, I'm curious about your process because I'm not, I'm not as good at it, you know? Uh, and, I, and I think for people, younger people who live in a social sphere, understanding cyberbullying, understanding hating, understanding response to it can be really helpful, especially from somebody like you. Yeah, I no, I appreciate that because I think that it's really important for us to highlight the fact that I don't think that that individual should be demonized. To be frank, I never did receive an apology, but that's fine. You know, I, I think that I worked hard toward and I, how I confront hate is like you can't address everything, and that was a particular instance that was repeated behavior that was ongoing that was was with another professional colleague um, that wasn't permittable. Um, I receive, you know, there's, I don't even go, like, I don't, I don't seek that stuff out because I don't want to feel like bad. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't try and find what people say about me on a forum, whether it's good or bad, like I don't need it. Um, But when, when there is hate that's prevalent, like, if I see it on an Instagram post, I do read the comments on my Instagram post because I think that there's a really beautiful way that we can engage with our audience and and see the messages. And often I feel really uplifted by messages I receive. Um, But I always try and approach it with a state of empathy first. Like I'm going to try and understand where this person is coming from and also try and understand like how what I'm saying could be misconstrued, how what I'm doing could be misconstrued. Um, and, you know, hear the person out. And then it, it's often I'll ignore it, like to be fair. Um, and more, more and more as it's kind of like this weird thing, the bigger you get, the smaller your core circle becomes. Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, And my career was probably in the limelight since I was about 16 years old. Um, That was when people started noticing me. Um, And I think that my skin for as like, um, pun intended, not not intended as it may sound, it's become a lot more calloused (laughs) through the years. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really put an em- emphasis on my direct circle. Like, I am so thankful for what I, I, what I have in this life. Like, I have an amazing partner. I have my two cats, which I love. Like, I love my community of friends. Like, they're, 
there's so much love in my life and it doesn't need to be from a lot of people. But that's like, those are the opinions that I listen to in like a very like deep way because they, under, they, they understand me, but also they understand, um, I think a lot of what's going on and like, I respect their opinions. I can't listen to everyone because then there would be like so many opinions <laughs> that like, you know, you, you develop who you trust. And then because you respect and trust them, you listen to their voice, but you can't just have positive either. And trust me, my mom is not always positive. <laughs> not just my mom, but yeah. <laughs> was that, were they, were, this is just a, a question about how you were brought up. I mean, were your parents really supportive of climbing? Were they indifferent to it? I mean, would they, how did they feel about it? Did they have any um, mis, misunderstandings about it? Was it easily translatable? I mean, were they just all in or was it like, whoa, wh why not track? Yeah. Um, I think that my mom's dream for me was to be a figure skater, but I, I turned that around quite quickly and she really embraced climbing. Like my parents had no idea what climbing was. Um, my mom's from Montreal. My dad is, I mean, his origins are Italy. Um, and my mom learned how to belay so that I could maximize the time that I was at the gym with the time I could do my homework. So I'd like go to the climbing gym. She'd like belay me on like laps of four or whatever. Um, and I'd get home and then on weekends, she'd like drive me across the country to go to youth competitions. You know, she was really involved. Um, my dad didn't really go to that many competitions of mine. And I think that I always kind of had this like want to prove myself to my family over like climbing as this legitimate thing. And like my aunt still teases me to this day about like, I think I was like 11 or 12. It must have been 12. And I was like, I'm a professional climber. And she's like, what? And I was like, I'm sponsored. So that means I'm professional. Um, and, you know, I wanted to prove by the time I was like 16 or 17, I was making a, an a, like enough to be considered a living um, that that was when I felt like I could be like legitimizing what I do, like my sport, because it was still quite young sport relatively to like how it's exploded a lot and become more of like a household um sport like acknowledged like it's in the olympics it's won an oscar or like you know it's on netflix um but it wasn't the traditional route and like i was the only person at my entire like middle school and high school that climbed um so i was kind of embarrassed by it to be frank like i didn't really like to talk about it i still don't like to talk about it with my non-climber friends because like i just um and I'm not embarrassed by it now by any means, but I think that when I was going through school, like in adolescence, it was this thing that made me an other. And uh, I had to explain what that was and, and I didn't feel like it. So I always felt the most genuinely at home when I was at the climbing gym with like my eclectic crew of friends that I had of all ages um and genders like at the gym because they were just like my climbing friends you know they were like what related on that front but my my parents um they stressed academics they stressed the fact that if i was going to be wanting to do something 
then I should commit to it. And that was like going to practice instead of just like not, but I, I loved client, like I loved going to practice. So it wasn't as much of an art. It wasn't an argument. Like it was to go to like ballet and figure skating. It was like, (laughs) (laughs) do you, I mean, do you feel like, um, you've had this long, you've had a really actually quite a long trajectory as a professional climber and you're still very much, um, noticed as that, but like we started the conversation or where we started the conversation, we were talking about your, um, your activism and your advocacy in other areas, specifically climate change and women's empowerment. And I'm curious, you know, you're 27 now. Um, obviously I'm sure you want to climb for your, at least a, a long time, be it professionally or not. What's your, like, what's act two? What's act three for you? That's a great question. I think I'm still defining what that is. Um, I do know that I don't want to be a professional climber forever. Um, And I mean, I don't think I could be, but I, I want to develop, you know, chapter two and chapter three of different professions. And I have a lot of curiosity on the entrepreneurial side from the like journalism side. I mean, I I do love writing. It's what I studied. I'd love to one day write a book. Um, But as for like a clean transition away from professional climbing, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I think that I'm really learning to appreciate this break from climbing because I haven't ever fully burned out, but this is almost like the universe saying, take, a year off and figure out who you are beyond climbing, not Sasha, the climber, like Sasha, the individual who wants to be something that's genuine to herself. And, and yeah, I think I'm like starting to appreciate the space. Like I really, I mean, now I really want to be able to walk again. (laughs) So it's like baby steps on that front, but um, as for like the internal work, I'm, I'm kind of excited to, I am kind of like, I've a mental coach and a sports psychologist and a therapist, um, that I'm working with now. And I have meetings each week where like, we continue down this like lab of exercises to kind of like fine tune where I'm at and like, just check in. Um, and I feel like I'm growing internally through that process and hopefully like by the end of this year i could tell you more refined answer it, i mean it doesn't need to be refined self self evolution or self betterment introspection is never i don't think it is refined i think it's always a little messy i think hindsight like you said you know at the end of the year maybe you could look back and and connect dots but in the moment i don't i'm at least my experience with it and i'm you know i'm almost 40 now is um, I'm just learning how messy it's going to be and that's okay. You know, it's, uh, at least it's okay with me. Um, I, I just resonate a lot with what you're saying about finding a, a way beyond or an identity beyond, um, beyond climbing. And even if you still do it and even if you still do it at a high level or even professionally, like, like how do you graduate from the identity that, that formed you and, and, and sort of created you how do you date you know graduate from your creation story i guess so yeah and and sift through who people tell you you are 
into who you really believe that you can be. Um, it's not linear too. And that's what I'm learning. Um, that it's okay to be in this kind of superfluous cloud of like figuring it out. And maybe that's what life is all about. Like maybe we're just always like floating in this cloud of figuring it out, but like dabbling in these different ventures and like seeing what sticks. Um, that I think it can be fun in that unknown curiosity driven landscape of just like being and and where I've like always kind of just circled back to in the last like really two or three years more so and, and partially spiked by like the the drama of like <laughs> the social media incident was like let's like stay centered on values and like what I really value within my life, within my circle of people closest to me, and then act from there because that's like, then I know that I'm acting from like a genuine space. Um, what can be tricky is, is because I've been climbing for a while and I, my career has relatively been long, you know, people have assumptions of me based on who I was at 18 or who I was at like 22 or 23, whatever. And, and I'm not old in a, any way, but um, I think I've changed and matured into ways that, you know, I'd look back to things maybe I said when I was like 18 or 20 and was maybe like more egotistical or less aware of the world. And like, I hope that people can start, um, you know, whoever judges me from my past, like maybe can just get to know me a little better before making judgments. And it's hard because within the social media landscape, for instance, like you think that you know people from a distance, but you don't actually genuinely get to know them unless you hang out in person. And um, I can't do that with everyone, you know, like I can only do it so much as I can with like the people around me. Um, so yeah, just just being judged by who I, I, for who I am, I think is important to me. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, um, judgment is, especially back to the idea of hate and, and like, and receiving criticism. I think it's so important right now and always to not alienate our allies, um, by being quick to judge and point out, uh, point out the things they're doing wrong. I think for me, what's been most helpful is when people gently say, Hey, you know, maybe you could have done this differently versus, um, attacking my motivations or, or trying to tear down, uh, something that I'm doing without really looking at intention. And, you know, you, you mentioned this earlier, there's, there's a, with empathy comes the need to look at, at intention versus just always correcting and critiquing people. I thought that was an interesting point. Um, and it seems like you're very good at that. You're, you're good at finding the intention in things versus, versus being overly critical. Do you think that's because people have been so critical of you at times? Um, you know, I'm working on it all. Um, I think that I can understand how it feels to be judged and not necessarily heard. Um, and that can be a really challenging thing, you know, even like if I've met people and they've been like, oh, you're different than I thought you were, 
from social media. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, um, you know, I try and I try and transpire honesty and, and show who I am on social media, but of course it's still a business. Like what I put out there is going to be a polished version of reality in many regards too. Like, you don't, I don't personally wake up and feel like I'm, I'm a successful individual every day or most days at all. Like I wake up and I'm like, well, I'm like, I need coffee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll wake up and, and wonder like, um, some days, like I'll, I think in the COVID world, like I'll wake up and wonder what's my purpose today. And like, when you can't leave your house or like right now, the purpose of a lot of what I do is healing. So it's like, my purpose today is stillness. Um, and that can be hard too. Cause it's like when every day kind of merges into each other, then it creates this like kind of weird blur of existence. That's very, very true at this time. I think it's interesting just that the, that idea of purpose, Sasha, like it, the way that you talk about that, it sounds as if that's something that a, a filter that you have applied previously in terms of what's my purpose today. Um, is that when it comes to purpose, is that something that, that, uh, you know, in a pre COVID world that you would apply a, that idea of, you know, I'm, what's my purpose today? Is that one of your tools? It's been a tool that I apply when I feel like I've had a successful phase. Um, and it's something that I forget to apply often. And I think that I'm just learning that it's really important um, to always have that center focus of what your purpose is. And that it's like, you know, it's okay to not know it. Um, but to be working towards knowing it is, is at least what I strive towards. Um, and right now, like I kind of break up my life in different phases or chapters, so to speak. And this phase of my life right now, I kind of like, when I write about it, I have this kind of like overarching journal of my recovery and it's just titled season recovery. And then like the byline is find my purpose. And like, you know, it's kind of cheesy or like, uh, a quote you'd find on like a yogi tea, but um, I think it's helping me <laughs> um, because great. it's starting to make me think of like, what, what is my purpose in a, when my life is so flipped upside down, you know, both of your guys is too. And I think a lot of our Rome community is like, we're used to these adventure pack travel oriented lifestyles. And now I've been at my house since early March, just like, you know, here. Um, and I don't really have any, any ambition to travel this year, um, because I'll be in and out of surgeries and, and I'm really learning to appreciate that, but it's a new lifestyle. Hmm. I can relate. I can really relate. The, the feeling of, uh, that, that exercise of, of finding, I guess I almost would, the way you're describing it, it almost feels like higher purpose because I, part of the way I felt like is if I asked myself that through this 
last three months or whatever, it'd be like, what's your purpose? And my purpose is like survival. Yeah. Like uh, to make it through this time, you know, and I think it's just starting to, to, and it will be interesting to look back with everything that's happening at this time in the world, June 12th, 2020, you know, how we're finding you're, you know, through it, it sounds like you're finding, uh, you know, sort of seeing through the fog a bit right now and, you know, within it, finding a renewed sense of a higher purpose, um, beyond just survival. Right. And being patient with yourself in that process. Um, is that, is that, is that where you're at? Well, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's kind of sink or swim with where I'm at right now. I can't do much else. Um, which I think is okay. Uh, and it's, it's, I'm a bit, I'm very, um, I'm, I'm not religious. I I'm spiritual in the way that I do believe in, in the universe and they're often being your reason to things happening. Um, I like to believe that everything happens for a reason. It's hard to put, you know, loss. Like when I lost my dad suddenly, like it's hard to put like, why is it, everything happens for a reason, but then why do, why do these significant things happen? And, and that's kind of like a consistent dialogue that challenges my thought process on, and my relationship to the universe and energy. And I do believe a lot in karma. Um, but I like to think too, of like mother nature's purpose in all in like a global pandemic, like, is the universe telling us to slow down right now? Like, does it need to put all of these people into unemployment and cause small businesses to suffer so drastically? Like ideally not. Um, but there are like, you know, there's, there's things that you can associate with the, the, the environment thriving during a global pandemic and, and kind of like try and see those positives. And, and so, um, with my hip, um, I, I had the craziest, like 72 hours kind of, of like I came home, um, from Europe and I had been, ha I've had bad hip pain for the last like two years. Um, but it's been getting worse and worse to the point, like it would like click out of the socket and stuff. And like, I couldn't sleep some nights, uh, when I was in Europe through most of like January and February, cause it just hurt so badly at night. And I just always assumed that I had a torn labrum or something like that. Um, so I finally scheduled an MRI and it was like, it was March 5th. Um, and I was going to be on a climbing trip with Rome and with Red Bull, um, March 6th through till March 23rd. Um, and that was when I found out that I had hip dysplasia and shredded through all of my labrums and surrounding tissue. Um, because I had just gone in to get a cortisone shot so I could like go to Mexico and climb well. Um, and the surgeon had said, okay, you can like go on this last climbing trip and then plan to throw in the towel. And then that, that, um, same day I'd gone to Denver to get CT scans and I drove back, got in the bath. Um, cause I was just like, man, I've been like overrun today between like just finding out about this and, and being jet lagged and whatever. And then that was when my good friend Savannah called me about, um, Nolan's accident. Uh, Nolan was 
was helping us. I mean, he was climbing, he got in a climbing accident, but he was a part of the team because he was going to be help, helping rig us for this climb so that Savannah could film it. Um, and yeah, then like I'm on the next plane I can be to Mexico to go and try and recover his body. Um, and then we, and then the global pandemic really like took over. Um, so, and then surgery got kind of pushed back until um, surgeries could happen again in Boulder. So it's been, it was like a really dark month for me, to be honest. Like I didn't understand back to the whole, everything happens for a reason. Like why are all these shitty things happening? Um, and it's not like there's a light uh, right now, but I think that we're like in this tunnel and, and like getting through it. Humans are so adaptable. Like we're just like, okay, this Yeah. Is do you think in, and thanks for the recounting that that was a, uh... I mean, if in terms of slowing down, those are a lot of events in your life. I could see what, where there might be that feeling like maybe I should slow down. Um, do you think, you know, in all of that, do you think that people can change? Yeah, for sure. I think that, that, um, I like to think that everyone's a good human you know, and, and we're changed. Our mindset is based on our, our upbringing, I think, in, in the beginning, like, you know, like if you're brought up um, in a household that values human life and that values um, compassion and being kind to other people, I think that, and, and on the other side, like if you aren't, um, I think that through life's experiences, we definitely can change. And, and we as adults get to choose who we surround ourselves with. And, and I love that saying of like, you are the compilation of the five closest people to you. Because I do think that the people that we spend time with rub off on each other. Um, and I do think that like, like, obviously, like we aren't just someone else. Um, but those five people directly around you can significantly affect you and you can change that too. like surround yourself by good people. Um, and I've definitely not surrounded myself by good people always. Um, and I notice it like, I don't know. I don't know if you guys can relate, but like when I've hung out with negative people who maybe like talk shit about other people or like are insecure in their own ways, then like if I've found myself participating in that conversation I like ha sometimes have a moment where I like step out and I'm like who are you like what are you doing um and you know you don't feel good about that so I I really and I would say like because of going through having other people talk about me and not such positive lights too I really um I do feel like I connect with the reason of like why I really don't like talking shit about people and like if I'm going to say something to you, it's going to be at face value. <laughs> that's why, that's why I don't like spending time with CJ, man. He just rubs off on me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> in a negative, in a, in a negative way. CJ is just the most negative person. No, I, it's really interesting. I think we, what, to, to speak to that point, I know we got to go here, but um, you know, Sorry. we've tried no, no, we, we love, we'll take as much time as people want to give. I, I, um, 
I feel like we try on, on this podcast, at least the start of it was the impetus was to bring amazing people together and amazing voices together. And I think you just nailed something that nobody else has brought up. And we've, we've let, we've talked with a lot of people, a lot of incredible sort of mentored people with big ideas and nobody's mentioned that, that little nugget that you really are sort of the collective sum of the five closest people to you. I mean, that is such a beautiful sentiment and it's, and it's something that a guy named Dan Butner, who we really want to have on the show too, has said to me in the past that, you know, who you, your tribe, your immediate tribe becomes uh, reflected in you. And I think um, it's poignant in this moment, especially with what's happening in America coming out of this pandemic and potentially going back into another one, approaching an election. Fuck, surrounding ourselves with good people and not just people that, that, that echo our thoughts, but people that challenge us and move us forward and help us evolve. That is so important and people who are kind and, and lead with love. Um, and I just really appreciate you, you making that point. Yeah, I'm a big Dan Buettner fan, so I'll tune into that podcast for sure. Yeah, he's 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 one of my five. He's a you know he's a tribe, and he is um, he's a special person. And you know what he says about happiness is, I mean, you really just said it. Um, one of the key factors of that is who you surround yourself with. And that's such a right now. That's such an interesting concept of who you surround yourself with as. We went in, you know, mid-March to whoever you're with right now is who you're going to surround yourself with. Um, but I think to your point, Sasha, earlier about us being adaptable, you know, it hasn't taken too long to, to start to actually create community or, or surround yourself um, in, in new ways, of course, so we all are looking forward to being able to be in person. But I, I think that that's hope, very hopeful you know, that there is significant in all of the pain that is happening. And, and I think that there has been a lot of pain. It, it does feel like that there's some evolution and that there's some change and that uh, we can find, you know, better ways to do old things. Again, to your point about the earth taking a breath and, um, and, and everything that's that the conversation and the action that's happening around social justice right now Um it's it's the hardest time I can remember, but and a lot of people can, but it also seems like, and maybe this is a question for both of you, do you think that there's a new world order that is is coming and can be better? Yeah, I, I think it's about damn time that there's change, you know, like there's no other way. We, we need to look in it ourselves, but also look at experiences that we haven't all personally had and just listen and be open and, and consider different perspectives because I feel like I'm still learning and like, you know, there's stuff that I've like probably done in my past or like kind of like an attitude that I've had that's like more arrogant than I need to be. And I like kind of cringe, you know, like I'm like, uh, okay. I was younger, but like, yeah, I, I think that that we all need to evolve and, and that's like the beauty of our world too is like hopefully we can continually evolve and I think also it's like taking the right steps right now because like I said at the beginning, like if we don't evolve with things like climate change, like 
there's not going to be that reset button. Um, and I'm not like, I'm such an imperfect voice for that because I've done so many mistakes my past in my past too. Like I've used, I've like used more plastic and like trash and stuff. And, and I have a large carbon footprint because of my travel and all sorts of things that I think are worth reevaluating and considering how we can grow and be more open to, you know, I think our, our outdoor community needs more diversity for sure. Um, more engagement with like accepting women for sure. Um, all sorts of things. I, I totally agree. I, I do think, you know, to answer your question, Chris, and to riff off some of what Sasha said, like, A, we not only d- is there hope for a new world order, so to speak, there's a demand for it. Because if we don't figure that out, um, we don't have a place to live. And that probably won't, I mean, we are already seeing uh, climate justice come out and, and sort of play itself out. It's not to say that we are going to see the planet necessarily die um, in our lifetimes. The planet will keep spinning, but we will have a much, much harder time sustaining ourselves, uh, especially living in the system we're in. I do think that um, in this moment of heightened emotion, uh, it's a good time to try to harness that emotion into action and move it forward. And I genuinely hope that, to Sasha's point, we can move some of that action towards uh, towards every branch of the of the systematic problems that we see, be it racial inequity, be it well or or overt racism, uh, um, climate change, women's empowerment, women's equality, women's equity. Um, I also believe that uh, you know, and I am I, I want to be apolitical in this. Um, I think most people know my political views, but I do believe that in America right now, Trump, as much as it's hard for people to accept this, has potentially been one of the best things that's happened to America because it's lit us up. We are awake and we are engaged. And I believe that, um, I, I, I hate the way it's happened. I loathe the energy behind it. Um, it's despicable and I, I, I genuinely cringe when I think of it, but we are engaged and uh, we have been asleep at the wheel of democracy for a long time. And if nothing else, this moment in time is an opportunity to wake the fuck up, grab the wheel, and drive where we want to go. Yeah, I love it. That's great, Corey. We should change the name of the podcast to Wake the Fuck Up. (laughs) I like it. Let's do it. Let's do that. I mean, Wake the fuck up. Yeah, that's such a great question, too, to depart on is like, is Trump the best thing that we've experienced in our democracy so far because it's allowed us to wake the fuck up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a real question. And you look at the political dichotomies and the swings from, I mean, really, you know, swinging from W to Obama now to Trump. And, and I don't want the pendulum to swing so far that we start breaking the walls off. But I do believe that, as much as I don't think this was the campaign promise that he had in mind um, for being a political outsider, that his methodology has awakened America and engaged us. And most of it is in opposition to him, but Hey, that's great. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's funny. Travis Rice said that to me right after I was with 
with him in December, right after the election in, in Jackson, um, riding with some friends and, and there was a lot of uh, discussion in the, in the group about how this is the worst thing ever. And he was very sort of quietly like, I don't, I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the worst thing. And he wasn't saying it as a, as a supporter. I think he, he was saying it more as it's, it's, we need it. You know, we need, we need to be what everything, what you're saying, Corey, about waking up and getting fired up and realizing that if it's, if you're not actively working on these purposes, these higher purposes, then, you know, like you said, you're asleep at the wheel and suddenly the the train is going off the tracks. And I think that applies to, to so much of what we're living through right now with the, with the pandemic and with the black Lives matters uh, movement that, you know, it's not enough to just sort of be like, well, I don't, I don't contribute that much to the problem. Like you have to actively be working to solve the problem. So, um, and I say that as someone who's realizing that in my own existence right now, not preaching at all because I've been asleep at the wheel. I feel that way. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's part of what adventure with purpose, what we've tried to create with Rome. Um, but, but we've got a lot of work to do, you know, as a community and in, in, in all of these, everything Sasha spent the last four days, uh, lobbying for the environment with POW and, um, you know, giving of your time, which everyone appreciates. I think that's a big part of it. So, um, thanks to, to, to you, Sasha, for joining us today. And, uh, thanks as always, Corey, for holding down the conversation and asking the good questions. Uh, man. and, uh, at some point, Sasha, since this is, uh, we're all here in Boulder, um, I hope that we can actually get together and have a conversation, whether we record that or not. Um, but yeah, that, that is a, that. yeah, it, we'll, like we'll have that dinner. Recorded, just like have fun together. But yeah. yeah, I really appreciate, you know, I really appreciate this podcast and like all of the guests you guys have had on too before. Corey, you do such a great job moderating and CJ, you too. Yeah. Rome with a purpose, like couldn't have said it better than the company's slogan. <laughs> so. well, a lot of work like you said a lot of work but uh that's certainly what hopefully people are getting some value out of it tell us if you if you are or you aren't we're very open to to these suggestions keep it civil please but um like everything we've been talking about but uh yeah thanks so much sasha and um we'll see you soon yeah thanks sasha it's good to see you take care heal well yeah likewise We'll have right. to um, follow up offline. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. I'll, I'd love to come up to the house. I haven't been yet, so I'd love oh, to see yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do a barbecue. Sounds great. Sure.